Welcome to Mind the Gap by Fresh Chat, a podcast where experts and hustlers share their stories on growth, marketing, and customer experience. I'm Abhishek, and I'm your host for the day. Today's guest is a podcaster, an author, and a serial entrepreneur who's a LinkedIn evangelist and a consultant as well. Being big fans of his podcast, Growth Experts, we decided to bring him over to chat about one thing he's truly passionate about: growth using LinkedIn. In this podcast, Abhishek indulges in a fireside chat with Dennis Brown about LinkedIn marketing. Over to you, Abhishek. Thank you so much, Dennis. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, the first question that I have for you is: What's your story? What's your What's your story on your career? How did you start, and how did it transform? Do you want to talk about it? You know, long story short, I never really had any aspirations of being an entrepreneur when I was younger. Right when I was in my teens, and even through high school, and even in college, I never, I didn't have dreams of starting a business. Well, because back then, being an entrepreneur wasn't cool. Right, it was like, you know, the only people that were entrepreneurs were people that couldn't get a job. Right, so, so I didn't really have those aspirations. And then I graduated from college with a pre-law degree, decided not to go to law school, and. Uh, was broke like everybody at that stage in their life. And so I went and got a sales job and I was the worst sales guy they had ever hired. But I was determined and a bit leveraged because I needed money to learn how to do this sales thing. And so, you know, I, I dissected it and I absorbed as much as I could from the top producers and, and mentors and within probably about six or eight months, I became one of the top sales guys in the company. And so I realized that I didn't want to go to law school. I wanted to pursue a career in sales. And then that kind of moved into entrepreneurship. And uh, I tell everybody for the first 10 years after I, I, I took the leap and started my first business, you know, I really struggled like most entrepreneurs. Um, There was, I mean, I'd make a little bit of money. I'd lose a little bit of money. I always had to have a side job. And it was a struggle. Um, you know, I tell everybody, I, I, the first 10 years of my career, I learned how to, I, I got bucked off the horse in the last 15 years, I finally learned how to ride it. And so that was kind of how I got started. You know, I, I wasn't one of those early guys. I mean, of course I had the, the side jobs when I was a kid, you know, mowing lawns and, and doing those sorts of shoveling snow and doing those sorts of things. But <clears throat> I don't really consider that to be entrepreneurial. I'll just consider that to be a kid who needs a few bucks. Right. So that's kind of how I got started. Great. So how did that transform from building a couple of multi-million dollar companies? How did, how did you transform to becoming a LinkedIn expert? So one of the first companies I built to seven figures was a dot-com company during you know the dot-com bubble. We, <clears throat> I co-founded a software company during, in 1998. And um, you know we raised a little bit of money to get that business started and grew that business to seven figures very quickly. Then 9-11 happened. And um, unfortunately, that took the wind out of our sails and thousands of other entrepreneurs <laughs> because the market crashed and, and you know, it kind of prevented us from exiting. Um, but then I pivoted. You know, I was looking for a pivot at that point and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Was I going to stay in tech? Was I going to you know, go into real estate? Was I going to, what was I going to do? I wasn't sure what I was going to do, where I was going to go next. <clears throat> and um you know, I went, I was golfing with a friend of mine and he said, you know, 
he knew I was looking around and trying to kind of do some due diligence and research on what, what type of business I was going to start. He knew I wasn't going to go get a job. And uh, he mentioned the logistics industry. And uh, I really knew nothing about logistics. I mean, you know, you see trucks driving up and down the road, making all kinds of noise and you know, they deliver your goods, but it kind of goes in the background and you don't really think about it. And I realized very quickly, it was a huge industry. At the time, I think it was like a billion industry here in the US. And so that got me real interested. And I kind of dove in and took a look at some of the dynamics that were going on in that industry. And one of the things I liked the most is that they were technological laggards. They're late adopters to technology. You know, they're not, they're not on the cutting edge of technology, unlike, you know, medical and other areas that, you know, that leverage technology very heavily. Logistics didn't do that. And so I decided to start a business and started that business in 2000. I got married on September 27th of, of uh, 2003 to my beautiful wife. And six days later, I incorporated my logistics company. <laughs> that was October 3rd and uh, of 2003. And I ran that company for 13 years. So our first year, we did a million. Our second year, we did 3 million. Then we did 6 million. Then we did 12 million. And by the time I sold that company in 2016, we were doing over 80 million. So that so that's what I call lady luck. There. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. I, you know, that was kind of the progression, and you know, I've had some other businesses in there as well. Um, you know, along the way between between um, that I was investors and co-founders in, and now today, you know, what what migrated me over to LinkedIn and what kind of got me in that direction was during the course of that logistics company. Right. When I started that logistics company in 2003, we were growing rapidly and, you know, we were doing a lot of online marketing and content marketing and lead generation online. But the problem was, is that we couldn't control the quality of the leads. So we would get a lot of unqualified inbound leads. And so, you know, that was frustrating to the salespeople. And I was not a big believer in social media. Uh, at the time, I thought social media was a waste of time. The running joke is, and this is the dead honest truth, is that I had a Facebook account, but it was under an alias of James Bond. Uh, and the only reason why I had <laughs> the only reason why I had the Facebook account was because I wanted to be able to look at pictures of my daughter when she was born. You know, when we were in the hospital, when she was born, <laughs> and my family was posting pictures. That's the only reason why I did it. I didn't want anybody to know I was on Facebook, and. Um, Right. And it's kind of funny now, but I just didn't believe in. So we can we can actually say that you know you probably had a James Bond photo there because you were just spying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, perfect example. So, but I but I um you know I, I didn't believe in social media as a business tool. I just didn't get it. You know, it just I couldn't connect the dots. And then I got a connection request from an old college buddy of mine um, on LinkedIn, and I had never seen it before. And when I looked at it, it just looked different. I just, I don't know, the conversations were different. The people were different. The design was different. It just appealed to me. And so a combination of two things. One, it was compelling because it was different than what I had seen on Facebook and these other platforms. And number two, you know, deep down inside, I wanted to try it just so that I could prove everybody that they were wrong. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? I wanted to do it just so I could check it off the box and say, you know what? You guys were wrong. It didn't work for me. And within just a couple of months of, of joining LinkedIn and just throwing a whole bunch of mud up against the wall and not knowing what the heck I was doing, I, um, I landed my first six-figure client. And it didn't take a whole lot of coaxing after that. Right. Now, when you look at the LinkedIn strategies right now, 
what according to you is the great LinkedIn profile there? You know, there are different requirements, meaning there are at least different recommendations that different kind of people talk about in the market. You know, people talk about how you need to be first person. People talk about how you need to build a story on your profile. People also talk about things that you've accomplished, uh, your headline being the most important and all of that. Now, even if I'm not looking at the search discoverability, what do you think makes the ideal profile on LinkedIn? What are your tips to make a great LinkedIn profile? Yeah, you know, I, I'm a I'm a really simple guy, right? I try to keep things really, really simple and not overcomplicate them. And what I find is that a lot of people try to overcomplicate these things. And so there, there are a few things that you need to do in order to have a profile <clears throat> that basically allows you to make a good first impression with whoever your target market is. So one of the one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they try to they try to um, appeal to everybody, right? So they're worried about everybody that lands on their profile liking them or connecting with them or you know engaging with them. And I'm the exact opposite. I could care less what 95% of the people on LinkedIn think of my profile. I only care about what my target market thinks. I only care. So I designed the entire profile with that in mind. And so a few of the things that you, the fundamental things that you need in a LinkedIn profile in order to, you know, make that good first impression with your target market is, you know, the good thing about LinkedIn for having a profile is it's free. And, you know, you have all these different features like have, having the ability to have a custom LinkedIn header. I think that custom LinkedIn header, I'll be extremely honest with you. I think that custom LinkedIn header has generated me hundreds of thousands of dollars in business because I designed it with that goal in mind. So you, if you look at my header, you know, on LinkedIn, you'll see it says, you know, I've generated over $20 million using LinkedIn. Ask me how. And so what happens is invariably almost every single day, <laughs> almost every single day, I get an inbound request from somebody that says, how'd you do it? Tell me how, how did you, you know, you said, ask me how. So, I mean, you know, you have to design you, so that, that header, uh, LinkedIn header is a really powerful, it's very powerful real estate. And I see a lot of people not leveraging it or they're using it very generic, Right. So I think customizing that LinkedIn header because it's literally and undoubtedly the first thing you see when you land on someone's profile. So having a custom LinkedIn header, and, and I'm not a graphic designer, right? I mean, I went to Fiverr and got this thing designed for 10 bucks, right? It's not like I, you had to go high tech here. It might've been 15 bucks, but anyway, you look at it, it was next to nothing. It was pennies. And so I think having a custom LinkedIn header is really important. The next most important part of real estate on your profile is your headline, okay? Your LinkedIn headline, right? Your title, not necessarily your title, and that's the mistake that most people have. They'll put CEO or vice president or director of HR or sales executive or whatever. They're going to put some sort of um, you know title there, and that that's a huge mistake, right? I mean, the fact is, is that's really valuable real estate because that's title and your image follow you around everywhere you go on LinkedIn. So whether you're commenting on someone else's post, whether you're posting content, whether you show up in a search result, whether they see you in a group, anywhere you go, your picture and your, your title, your headline basically follow you. And so my title says, again, over 20 million with LinkedIn and social selling, ask me how, host of the Growth Experts podcast, seven time Inc. 500. So 
you know, I created that title in such a way that it was engaging and that it got people's curiosity. And that's really the first step, right? If you can't get a little bit of curiosity and it's just, and, and they're like, yeah, I've been there, done that. I've seen this before. You know, it's going to be very hard to make a good first impression. So those are a couple of the biggest things. And then of course you talked about story and you talked about, um, you know, some of the other stuff like your summary and your expertise. You know, I think, um, you know, the summary is very important. I teach again, a very simple strategy as opposed to getting into a, a, a full story, like a, like you might in more of a kind of a, a resume or a bio, you know, I, as a, if you're using this for business and you're using this to connect with your target market and lead gen and, you know, and personal branding from the perspective of business, you know, I take a very simple approach. I do, I say what I do, how can I help? Who can I help? And then I do a very short about Dennis Brown at the bottom of that. Right. So it's not all about me. I make my profile and my summary very customer centric. It's not all about me. And I think that's a really important distinguish, you know, distinction because I'll be honest with you, people don't, you know, when people are on your profile, yeah, they want to learn a little bit about you, but they want to learn a little bit about you from the perspective of what's in it for them. Okay. And so you telling some story uh, about something you did five or 10 or 15 years ago, or, uh, you know, about some business application that doesn't directly relate to them, they don't care. I mean, they just don't. I could sit here and tell my story how I built three multi-million dollar companies, but my prospects, my target market, they don't care about that. What they care about is what's in it for me. So, I mean, I, I, we can pull that apart a little bit. I can continue on. I mean, I don't want to go off on some big, long tangent, but those are a few things that are really important. Your LinkedIn header, your LinkedIn headline, your summary, of course. And then, um, you know, another thing would be to add multimedia, right? Leverage multimedia as a part of your profile. You know, you can add that to your summary. You can add that to your experience section. You know, you know, it's not, I didn't coin the phrase, but you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And if a picture's worth a thousand words, then a video is probably worth 10,000 words. So try to leverage multimedia as a way to engage your prospect and try to draw them closer to you. So those are a few things. Does that help? That, that does. Now talking about limitations, that's probably there on LinkedIn. You know, I'm assuming this, that You've looked, you've looked on a lot more people's LinkedIn profiles than a product manager sitting in LinkedIn thinking about what features can be added into LinkedIn. Now, if you were to give an advice to the product managers in LinkedIn on a feature that, that, that they can add on LinkedIn, what would that be? You know, one of the things that I, I think that one of the areas where I think they could see the biggest improvement is in the ability for people, better, better tools or strategies for managing your inbox. Because if you spend any amount of time on LinkedIn and you become active where you have a robust network where people are messaging you and connecting with you and you're having dialogues back and forth with them, the LinkedIn inbox to me is very frustrating because you can get overwhelmed very, very quickly. So I think that they could create um, the ability, you know, they could enhance that very, very easily by allowing people to create some set different rules, creating different folders you know, just some basic inbox management would go a long ways. And again, that's not probably the typical answer that you would get from a lot of people. Um, but I can tell you that it's not only me, there's a lot of people who get frustrated with the LinkedIn inbox. Um, because again, you know, you get, you know, I probably get on average, 
you know, anywhere between, I probably get 30 to 50 new connections a day, right? In inbound connections every single day, right? And so along with those connections comes a lot of messaging back and forth. And so, you know, the messaging feature is something that I think they could dramatically improve. That would be probably one of the things I would push the most. Got that. So the way I'm looking at it now, just to give my perspective to this. So if I was probably looking at LinkedIn, I would probably not worry much about messaging at all. Because what trying what LinkedIn is trying to solve is once the connection is established, you you get in touch with the connection in multiple different ways. So you probably get in touch with them through, uh, you know, once if I get to know you, I'll probably use an email to get in touch with you, a WhatsApp, a call, an iMessage, or an email. Right? I think people are not looking at LinkedIn messages as an avenue for outreach or an avenue for prospect because it's not scalable. Just because of the way. Uh, it looks, feels, and functions. I think uh, I would I would probably look at uh, acquiring a messaging company that can be attached into LinkedIn so that the communication as a channel works a lot more better or reimagining it. Yeah, I think, you know, the thing about it is this, and you hear, you bring up a really good point, and the, you hear a lot about the scalability of being able to leverage LinkedIn as, as a tool. And, you know, there's, there've been any number of these automation tools that have come and gone, right? Um, you know, LinkedIn's not thrilled about these automation tools. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not thrilled about the automation tools myself, but I think one of the things that I think has really helped me, uh, you know, and, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the companies and clients that I've consulted with was not focusing on the scale component of relationship building, Right. You know, for me, relationships are very hard to scale. And so I really try to get, I really try to not scale those. It's, to me, it's more one-to-one. And there are some industries and businesses, business models that, you know, that's not good for. But in the B2B arena where I find, you know, business development and salespeople, if they can get in a one-on-one dialogue with their, with their exact customer avatar, you know, whether it's the decision maker at the exact profile company that they're looking for. I mean, that's, you can't get any better than that. And I think what I'm surprised is that I get, I, I get a ton of messages back and forth between colleagues, friends, you know, inbound leads, um, you know, prospects. And again, of course, once you, once you have that customer relationship established where you're now doing business with them, you know, you're typically not going to message back and forth through LinkedIn, but during that, during that nurturing stage, it's a very, it, it makes it less friction to message through there than it would be for me to ask them to pivot to another platform. Cause now I'm creating friction. If I ask them to get on a phone call, all of a sudden I start sounding like that sales guy that they don't want to talk to. If I ask them to convert over to WhatsApp, you know, maybe they're not on WhatsApp or maybe they, you know, maybe they're not comfortable with that. So I, I like the the LinkedIn messaging as a as a point where it's early relationships, developing those relationships, very little friction between you and the prospect which is already on the platform. And then and then once you've nurtured that a little bit and you've developed some rapport, of course you're gonna pivot that off because you know we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, stay on LinkedIn when we, when we start to navigate the business process. So, but I do think that there, there could be some very simple things that they could do just to try to make LinkedIn not quite so tedious from the perspective of, uh, of managing, you know, 
the amount of messages that you'll get if you're very active on LinkedIn. So, but there are a million of other things that people could do, but like you said, maybe they would acquire, you know, uh, an outside communications tool where they, where they, it's a little bit more robust. Um, and you know, that might be a good idea or something for them to look at. Right. So there is one other place that I feel LinkedIn fell short, which is when LinkedIn first in, when LinkedIn first came up with the sales navigator, I was looking at Sales Navigator as a pseudo CRM for LinkedIn. But what LinkedIn Sales Navigator really did was just help me save parts of my search or just build list instead of figuring out outreach, figuring out managing relationships, figuring out reminders of communication and stuff like that. Sales Navigator could have solved for several things. I felt LinkedIn kind of fell short there as well. I'd have to agree with you. I mean, there are some things that I really like about Navigator. But I think one of the challenges in them trying to sell that as a SaaS product, as a subscription model, is that, you know, that there's not a huge differentiator between that and the free account. And you've seen over the years, they've taken more and more of the free features away and they've put them into the SaaS product, into the, into the sales navigator. But uh, you know, I, I have to agree with you. It's not as robust as you think it would be. And again, um, you know, there's a couple things that I really like about it. The, the thing that I probably like the most, there's two things. Number one, they release the commercial search limit, right? So, I mean, if you have a free account, you're going to run into a commercial search limit very quickly. And so if you're going to need a premium account, if you're going to be very active, just in order for, be, for you to be able to find your target market using search. But beyond that, you know, the search is a lot more granular. It gives you better search capability. And then I think one of the things that I like that most people don't really talk a whole lot about is when I save a lead in my sales navigator, what happens is all of those saved leads, when I log into sales navigator, that's the only content that I'm going to see in my sales navigator feed. So what makes that what makes that useful is that rather than trying to sort through all of the, you know, the feed in your free account, which is, you know, way too robust if you have thousands of connections, it's very hard to find your target, you know, your prospects and your customers and your target market in that because there's just so much content. In Sales Navigator, you only see the lead, the the content from your sa- your saved leads. So if you have a hundred saved leads in there at any given point as a part of your kind of your pipeline, all of a sudden now you only have to filter through those in order to, to, you know, to look for sales triggers, to engage with those prospects and to start having a dialogue within their content, right? Which is really what's important to them. So that's another feature that you don't hear a lot about. Correct. Now talking about LinkedIn again, so SEO is a pretty straightforward scientific game, right? It's not very scientific, but to an extent where you know how many times people search for keywords, you know the kind of content that you need to write to start ranking in that keywords. You need to backlink in it a bit and then you'll start ranking on the keyword. You know, you would start showing up on search. LinkedIn does not work like that. So what do you think is the right metric or what, is, what do you think is the right way that we can get listed when somebody searches for a keyword? How can you make sure your profile gets listed when somebody searches for something? Yeah, so... At one point in the past, years ago, I've been on LinkedIn for over a decade. So years ago, I don't know how many years ago it was, maybe it was six or eight years ago, I played around with the whole LinkedIn search algorithm and did a lot of testing on how to get ranked for certain keywords. And back then it was pretty easy. It was very similar to, you know, to 
old school kind of gray black hat SEO when you would just keyword stuff your profile with those keywords. So if you wanted to get if you wanted to come up in the search results for growth hacking, you would add growth hacking multiple times throughout your profile. And so, and there was different, there was different criteria back then where that were weighted a little bit more if it was in your title versus if it was in different areas. So back then it was pretty easy. Now today, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time focusing on keyword, um, you know, optimization for LinkedIn. I'm sure that there's a certain amount of keyword density that they're looking for and relevance within your profile, but I don't really spend a whole lot of time that on, on that. And here's the reason why, because while link people are searching on LinkedIn, um, you know, I don't think that that's going to be the primary strategy of how they find you. Um, I think that the better strategy on how they find you as opposed to, you know, just being part of the, you know, because it's, what is there almost there's five or 600 million members on LinkedIn, right? These days. So it's so huge now that I think it would be extremely difficult to rank, but I think the better strategy that I use today is one of two strategies. Either I do outreach to that target market where I'm doing a targeted outreach campaign, or I'm focusing on using content to generate inbound leads. And the thing that's changed the most on LinkedIn in the last couple of years is being able to leverage content to, you know, to develop those relationships with your target market. Perfect example. Last year in 2018, I generated over 3,500 inbound leads from my content on LinkedIn, hundred percent free, no paid ads, all organic. And so, you know, I think that that's been the discovery through content has been way more valuable and robust than I ever saw or could imagine the discovery using SEO on LinkedIn. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. And to talk about, you know, just the algorithm in LinkedIn, you know, you just spoke about how content has started playing a role or example of how you generated leads last year just through content. You were just talking about it. But how do you make sure you're on top of the game? Where do you keep yourself abreast about the way the algorithm in LinkedIn changes? Because, you know, I remember this in 2007, 18, 2017 and 18, uh, we had a couple of folks, a couple of growth hackers, put a lot of content out there as their status messages, a long form content, which made a lot more engagement, which made sure that LinkedIn kind of made sure that that messages was out there and a lot of people read it. But that kind of doesn't work anymore because back in 2017 and 18, we had these posts, these viral posts getting about 30,000, 40,000 or 80,000 likes and comments and all of that. And we don't see that kind of a number anymore. So which means LinkedIn has kind of also changed their algorithm. Where do you keep yourself on top of this? Where do you read this kind of information? The tech one. From a from a tech perspective, the research that I do, most of the research that I do either or the information that I have comes directly from LinkedIn or comes from the result of testing that I do myself. Okay. So, so LinkedIn is like most organizations, you know, when it comes to any sort of algorithm are typically pretty tight lipped when it comes to giving away the the keys to the castle, because they know that there are growth hackers and marketers that are out there trying to, you know, that are trying to uh, figure it out and leverage it. Right. So, so they don't share a whole lot of information. What I do is I've done a lot of testing. So in 2018, I told you that example where I generated 3,500 inbound leads. Um, you know, all the testing that I did for the six months 
in, you know, during 2017 and then the first six months of 2018, you know, just a lot of testing myself on what was working and what wasn't for me, um, is really how, you know, I like to, I, I'm, I kind of consider myself like the crash test dummy of LinkedIn, right? So I, I try a lot of different things. I test a lot of different things, most of which don't work or don't work the way I want them to, or the way I thought they would. But, I, I boil it down to that five or 10% that do work really well. And then I just double down on those things. And just to comment on, on the virality of content and the engagement with content on LinkedIn. So here's the thing, you know, you, everybody's focused on virality, right? Everybody wants to get hundreds of thousands of views and thousands of engagements. But the fact is, is that it doesn't require virality of LinkedIn content or any content for that matter, to, to have, to provide huge value. Let's think about it. My content on LinkedIn in any given month typically gets somewhere roughly in the range, you know, a range of, let's say 250,000 to a million views a month. Okay. And I post three to five times a week. I post one LinkedIn update three to five times a week. And that generated me in 2018, 3,500 inbound leads. Now the average person on LinkedIn, I don't know the exact statistic, but if I had to guess through the dialogues that I've had with a lot of marketers and salespeople and, and business development people on LinkedIn, um, you know, they're lucky if they generated 35 leads during that entire inbound leads during that entire year. And the primary reason was, is because they, they didn't have the right content strategy. Right. And so I think that um, the virality of LinkedIn has changed. The, the algorithm have changed, but I don't focus on virality. I focus more on engagement. So my metrics, I'm much more concerned with engagement in terms of comments, in terms of conversations that are within the post and then conversations that happen after the post. So again, I'm not focused huge on the whole scale and the, and the numbers as far as huge numbers. It's not my focus at all. I could care less if I get a million views on a video, if 990,000 of those views are all the wrong people or, you know, can't be a potential customer of mine. You know, I'm not, I'm not focused on being an influencer. I'm not focused on someone who has a million followers. I could care less about that. It doesn't, it does nothing for me. What I'm, what I'm concerned about and what my focus is really on the most important metrics is what are the new relationships that I'm able to develop and enhance through that content. So that's just been my strategy and it, it works for me. From a customer lifecycle management or from a customer cycle management, you know, we spoke about how LinkedIn can be used to acquire customers or build leads or prospect them. But what do you think about LinkedIn's role in customer marketing, in, in reaching out and servicing existing customers that you have? Have you, have you seen use cases around it? Do you, yeah, I think that um, LinkedIn can play a role in that. And again, you know, once that customer relationship is already established, obviously, you know, LinkedIn is probably not the best place for in- to to continue that engagement. Right? We're going to bring that into the. You're going to be doing more Skype or or video calls or Zoom calls or face to face meetings or you know, you're going to, you're going to use a much more robust platform from a communication standpoint with your customers. If you really want to enhance those relationships after the sale, but I do see the ability to continue to leverage your thought leadership, your content 
as a way to enhance that relationship. Because the fact is, is those customers are, are spending time on LinkedIn. Many of those customers, a high percentage of those customers are spending time on LinkedIn, if not daily, weekly, monthly. And so I think it definitely falls to the to the back seat a little bit. But we did talk about earlier something that I think was really important, which was the content that your customers are putting out. So that example in Sales Navigator, where when you save when you save a lead and now you you see the content of those saved leads only, and it becomes a lot easier to to engage with the with the correct target market with your correct audience. I think that's one of probably one of the most powerful ways that companies can use to continue to enhance those relationships with their existing customers. So their customers are putting out content. Let's assume that their customers are putting out content on LinkedIn of some sort. By engaging with that content, you stay top of mind, you continue the dialogue, and you are, you're still enhancing that relationship through engaging with their content, not necessarily always through your own unique or, or individual content. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's another that's another avenue for salespeople and marketers to, you know, they, they always think about creating content, but they don't think about engaging with their target market's content. And that's actually one of the best ways to to initiate a conversation is to engage with their content. Because again, you know, so if someone took the time and energy and resources to put a piece of content together, whether it be a video or, you know, some sort of an image or some sort of a microblog text post, you know, they put a lot of time and energy into it and they're looking for engagement. So if you give them engagement and you give them meaningful engagement, you know, it doesn't take long to stand out from the crowd. That's right. Now, talking about the content strategy in LinkedIn, I think thanks to people like you and a few others who kind of made sure that LinkedIn has an avenue for content marketing. Now, there's a lot of content out there right now. People people put some content that that's they expect engagement on and all of that. But from your perspective, can you name a couple of people or profiles or companies who put out really good content for their target audience? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, a couple of good friends of mine who do extremely well. Um, gentleman by the name of David David Breyer. David is a branding expert. Um, he wrote a book recently. I forgot the exact name of the book. What was it? Let me just look really quick. But it's a great book and he does extremely well. Um, oh yeah, Brand Intervention. He's the author of Brand Intervention. It came out in 2017. David Breyer does extremely well. He puts together really nice video content, does really well with video. Um, another gentleman um, by the name of Dale Dupree is a sales trainer. Uh, does extremely well. Another gentleman by the name of Keenan. Uh, he's known as Keenan. His name's Jim Keenan. Um, K-E-E-N-A-N. He's another good guy that I follow and does extremely well with content marketing in his niche. I mean, those are a few. There are tons, right? There are lots of people out there. Um, Alan Gannett does really well with his little short 90 second. He does a 90 to 120 second interview with somebody, you know, several times a week and gets tons of engagement. So, I mean, there are a lot of people that are getting really good engagement. Mark Metry is another one. He's the host of a, of a Human 2.0 podcast, drives a lot of traffic and interest and engagement in and around his podcast episodes directly on LinkedIn. So, yeah, I mean, those are just a few that come off the top of mind. Great. And when you talk about profiles on LinkedIn, you know, because you also consult in terms of helping people provide helping people come up with really great profiles. Can you talk about examples of great profiles that you've seen on LinkedIn? 
Uh, you know, profile optimization is a small part of what we do. Um, you know, we're much more involved in the strategy side, but I guess, um, you know, off the top of my head, I think um, really compelling profiles. You know, I think all of the guy, all of the people that I mentioned already in regards to content have a very good understanding and have leveraged profile optimization to ensure that they make a good first impression. I think that's a good one. I think um, Dan Locke is another example of uh, someone who does really well. He's who's optimized his profile. You know, I mean, I think that optimizing your profile is just really not that complicated. Again, I think people overcomplicate it. Create an interesting and compelling header image. You know, put a put a LinkedIn headline together that is that is customer centric. Write a short short summary that is customer centric. You know, get some LinkedIn recommendations under your belt so that you can use social proof. And from there, you know, again, you're not you're not trying to close the deal. You're just trying to make a good first impression. And you know, the fact is, is we only get a short period of time to do that. So. I just don't see the optimization piece is really that complex, but the, a few of those people that I mentioned would be good examples of people that not only understand how to leverage content to draw engagement with their target market, but also have optimized their profile. Great. Okay. Now let's talk about the elephant in the room. We all know that it's highly expensive to run ads on LinkedIn, you know, the paid ads on LinkedIn. I ha I've had a lot of friends of mine who run marketing uh, functions uh, talk to me about how ineffective they are and they are a very expensive channel what are your thoughts on it you know my thoughts on 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 the ex, the difference between let's say a facebook ad cost versus a linkedin ad cost is this i don't when i look at paid advertising i don't really look at i i guess you do look at the upfront cost of what it costs to engage and get views on your ad but when you look at it on the back end, it's really a measure of what's your customer acquisition cost versus the lifetime value of your customer, right? It's a math equation, right? So, you know, I asked myself in my with my logistics company, would I today spend $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 to acquire a customer leveraging LinkedIn advertising? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. From a straight math math equation, I would. And the reason being is because the lifetime value of those clients was significantly higher. And so it really comes down to a math equation. So when you consider the cost of LinkedIn ads versus Facebook ads or other platforms, I think you also got to consider the, the, the market that is there and, and the opportunity to actually develop a relationship with them and convert them into a sales. Now, with that being said, I know that LinkedIn has made great strides in the last four or five years, particularly um, enhancing their, their, um, their LinkedIn advertising platform. I do personally do not do a lot of advertising on LinkedIn, okay? Predominantly because I don't need to because <laughs> I generate a ton of inbound leads. But I did have a guest on my show. His name's AJ Wilcox. He's an he is by far one of, you know, I did a ton of research. He's one of the foremost experts on LinkedIn advertising. And he was on my growth experts podcast. We talked about it and, um, and, and, and I walked away with the understanding that yes, it's significantly more expensive, but the reality is, is that it's, you know, the targeting capability that they have, 
um, you know, and the audience that they have is so much different than a lot of these other platforms. And then the other side of it is now they have basically the ability of retargeting, right? So they've enhanced that in the last, I think that's been the last couple of years as well, where you can now retarget uh, the people that are on LinkedIn with those ads. So I think, I think the jury's probably still out a little bit for some people, but I think advertising continues to grow year over year on LinkedIn. And um, hopefully as the inventory gets bigger, you know, the, the, the inventory for them to be able to place ads, hopefully that cost will come down, but it's yet to be seen. Great. And talking about tech stack, tech stack just for LinkedIn, of course, there's a ton of tool out there. There's, Hunter.io, there's DuckSoup, there are tools like Pods, the LimPods, and st- several of that. Now, for somebody who's starting out, what is the ideal tech stack that you would look at on top of LinkedIn? Or for somebody who's an expert, somebody like you, what is the ideal tech stack that you would look at? So for somebody just getting started or somebody who's a more advanced user? For both. For somebody who's just getting started, what's the tech stack look like? The tech, for, for somebody just getting started, don't even worry about the tech stack. I would focus on the fundamentals. I would optimize your profile, start growing that target market, you know, uh, of people that are, you know, start growing your network of people that are in your target market. So you're spending time conversations with them, start creating content and use that as your fundamentals. Spend three to six months just building your network and leveraging content to try to position you as, you know, as, as someone who has something valuable to say. For people that are advanced, um, and, and if you do need emails, right? If you do want to get emails, you mentioned hunter.io. That's one of my favorites. I think that's a great tool to use, you know, if you do want to try to um, simultaneously leverage email as a part of your communication process with the, you know, with your with your target market. Because again, people spend a lot more time in email than they do on LinkedIn. It's just a fact statistically, right? So if people don't engage with you on LinkedIn and you really need to get in touch with them, then maybe a cold email type strategy or a warm email strategy might be a good, good opportunity using hunter.io. When it comes to advanced, um, users, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I keep things really simple. I don't use duck soup. I don't use any automation tools. I don't use any of the Chrome plugins. And predominantly the reason why I don't is because LinkedIn has made it very, very clear (laughs) that they don't like those tools, right? They don't want people doing automation on LinkedIn. They haven't opened up the API. Most of the people that are doing that are either scraping or using some kind of backdoor tactic. And, you know, nothing against those technologies, you know, they work. And I will, I'll be honest with you. I have tried many of them just as a test to see what all the chatter was all about. And while it does allow you to, you know, do some automation, um, I think the risk for me and the risk for my clients is too high to put my clients in that situation where they could potentially lose their entire LinkedIn network, get their account suspended or terminated. I think the damage associated with that far outweighs the automation component. What I would prefer them to use is just, you know, insource it. You have somebody in your office take over some of the mundane tasks, the routine tasks, or maybe outsource it and have some sort of a VA do it. Um, you know, I think that that would be a much better approach. That's been my personal approach, right? I'm not big on the automation tools predominantly because LinkedIn's not big on them either. And I'm not going to push my clients in the direction that's going to put them in harm's way. Great. Okay. 
Do you think there are parts of this conversation that we have missed? Do you think I can come up with some questions? I think we've had a very interesting conversation, but I just want to make sure it feels complete for you as well. You know, are there parts of the conversation that I've missed? One of the most exciting things that I, that I would add right now that's happening as we speak is LinkedIn Live Video is in beta, right? So they have a small, very small beta group that they that are using LinkedIn Live, which is you know, the, they're parallel to kind of the Facebook live. And I've had some conversations with multiple people that have it. And while they're working through some issues, like they always do in a beta, um, they're very excited about the opportunity of LinkedIn live. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but, um, I think that that is, could add a whole new element. Um, organic, right? Uh, organic LinkedIn video added a whole new element when they added that a couple of years ago. And I think LinkedIn Live will add a whole new element on top of that. So that's pretty exciting. I think a lot of people are excited about that. Um, I'm going to have a, an episode coming up here with uh, Quentin Alum, Quentin Alums, who's, uh, who uh, is an entrepreneur and marketer on LinkedIn and who ha- who's part of that beta program. I'm going to have that. I'll release that soon on my Growth Experts podcast, but um, it hasn't been released yet. But I've some very interesting findings, and uh, I'm really curious to see how that rolls out. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. That that should be an interesting one. I think that can replace parts of how webinar happens and webinar outreaches and live Q&A sessions and all that. That's that should be exciting. And this is where the people are, LinkedIn. Yeah. I, I think I, I know that what a game changer it was. I mean, think about what a game changer linked uh Facebook Live was, right? Facebook Live. Can you imagine Facebook without Facebook Live right now? I mean, I don't think most people can. Yeah, that's true. And so uh, you know, I, I just don't think most people can think about Facebook or imagine Facebook with Facebook Live. And the fact is, it it just wasn't that many years ago that they launched it. And LinkedIn, if it has even half of that impact on LinkedIn, it could be it could be really make make the it could really enhance the the platform in a lot of ways. So, I'm cautiously optimistic about it, but uh, I think it it uh, it'll be interesting to see it roll out. I can already start thinking about growth experts as part of uh, LinkedIn Live very soon then. Yeah, absolutely. I, my plan is when it goes live or when I have access to it, hopefully I'm. they're going to expand this beta group. I'm hoping that I'll be a part of that beta group. My plan is to have a weekly show, is to have a weekly LinkedIn Live show, whether that be an offshoot or some sort of repurposing of some of, the, of my growth experts uh, content or additional interviews or behind the scenes. I, I definitely plan on using it. Awesome. That's that's great. I think we had a really good chat here, Dennis. I think I enjoyed several parts of it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it was amazing. I appreciate it. You know, I like it. Sometimes we don't get as much into the nitty gritty and down into the technical aspects. And so you asked some really good questions. And I think hopefully the listeners are are compelled to start using LinkedIn a little bit more. Um, and if anybody needs any help, feel free to reach out. You know, I'm sure that you guys will add a, some sort of a link in the comments uh, or the show notes where you can, where they can reach out to me. I'll be more than glad to help anybody who needs it. Thank you for listening to Mind the Gap. Subscribe to our podcast at freshchat.com slash mindthegap. You can check out our upcoming episodes and ask questions to our guest by sending an audio message there. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with the world. See you guys soon.